Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness towards us. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word. And through that, we have uh, the words of life to nourish us, to sustain us and to guide us in the way that we should live. We pray, Father God, that you would come and speak to us all this morning, that, Lord, we might be blessed, encouraged and built up by your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in the uh, book of Joshua and we are Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Now, just to get us up to date, the story so far in Joshua chapter 1, we saw that God had both commissioned Joshua to be the new leader of Israel after the death of Moses and had commanded Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. Uh, In Joshua 2, we saw that the two spies had been dispatched by Joshua and uh, they brought back a report from a prostitute named Rahab. She had told them, the Lord has given you the land. The terror of you has fallen on us. And this inspired faith in God, not only in the two spies, but in the whole camp of Israel. There was a newfound confidence that God was with them and was going before them. Then in Joshua chapter 3, we saw five more words of faith were spoken into the camp of Israel. And this confirmed God's word in the hearts of Israel and inspired the faith. They need that was required to cross the Jordan. And last time we left the nation of Israel, having crossed the Jordan safely. Uh, the, but the priests were still in the riverbed, uh, which was dry. Uh, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, we know that this is the second river crossing in recent years in Israel's life. The first, of course, being the Red Sea. And it took faith to cross the Red Sea in the past, uh, but I believe it took substantially more faith to cross the Jordan River. Because when Israel crossed the Red Sea, the waters were already parted. Uh, Moses had put his staff into the river and the waters parted. And then with a clear, clear uh, path before them, they were able to go through. But when Israel crossed the Jordan River, the waters were still present. And the priests had to physically step into the river, which was flowing very fast at this time of year because the banks were very full. And it was only once they took that step of faith into the water, did the waters physically, uh, well, get dammed up about 20, 30 miles upstream at a place called Adam. Of course, when Israel crossed the Red Sea, the enemy was behind them. But when Israel crossed the Jordan River, the enemy was before them requiring more faith to cross. And when Israel crossed the Red Sea, they were, of course, heading towards safety. But when Israel crossed the Jordan River, they were heading towards danger. They were heading into enemy territory. And so clearly it was by faith that they went forward into the promised land, into the inheritance that God had promised Abraham some 600 years previous. And of course, the presence of God went before them as represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And it's always the case when God wants his people to move forward, it requires faith. He calls his people to walk by faith if they're going to come into the fullness of what God has for them. And the theme of the book of Joshua is pressing into the fullness of what God has for you. Pressing into the fullness of what God has for you. Unbelief says... Let's go back to where it's safe. 
Let's remain with what is familiar and comfortable. Faith says, let's go forward to where God is leading. Let's go forward to where God wants us to be. You see, the blessing is always ahead. For the believer, that the blessing is always ahead if they will step into the water by faith. And there is a deeper knowledge and experience of God awaiting every believer that will follow where he is leading. But it takes faith. And let's be clear, in that process of coming into the fullness of God, in coming into that deeper knowledge and experience of God, there comes a price. Of course, they had to leave Egypt behind. And Egypt is a picture of the world. And if we want to press into the fullness of God, we need to leave Egypt behind as well. We need to leave the world and its pleasures behind if we're going to come into all that God has for us. In the wilderness, uh, their clothes didn't fade. Their sandals didn't wear out. Food awaited them every morning in the form of manna. And no doubt life in the wilderness had its challenges, but it was largely comfortable and relatively easy compared to going into enemy territory with a sword and being ready to fight. And if you're to come into the fullness of God, you need to be prepared to leave the comfortable behind and get ready to fight. There is a price to be paid if you want to come into the fullness of what God has for you. I'm reminded at this point of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14, which I believe the Lord would want every believer to echo. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God would have us forget those things which are past and reach forward to those things which are ahead, to press forward to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Joshua heard the upward call of God in his life, but do we hear the upward call of God in our lives? Do we want to press in to all that God has for us? Let's read uh, Joshua chapter 4 and I'm going to read the first eight verses to start off with. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you should answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged 
and laid them down there. You know, men are somewhat predisposed to building memorials, uh, maging, rain, uh, building large ornaments and um, uh, the memorials that men tend to build are to glorify themselves. I'm reminded of the Taj Mahal, which was a, a big memorial to the wife of a great Mughal leader. Or the pyramids, uh, a great memorial to the pharaohs of the past. When Joshua builds a memorial, it's not to exalt the works of men or any one individual. It's to exalt God and the work that he performs. And God reveals his plan incrementally. The 12 men were set aside before Israel had crossed the Jordan. We saw that in Joshua 3 verses 12. And by the time that they'd been set aside, the reason for them being put to one side was not clear. It only became evident once the rest of Israel had crossed uh, the river. And as believers, we are to walk in the light that we are given. God doesn't necessarily give us all the picture at once. He gives us incremental revelation. And it's through obedience in those things that he has shown us by faith that he will then open up further revelation to us. There is many more things that God wants to reveal to us and bring into our lives, but we need to be obedient to what he has shown us presently. Arthur C. Custance, who was a, an expert in Aramaic, Hebrew and Greek, said, The message of the gospel is a noise not a communication until God tunes the set of man's heart. The message of the gospel is a noise, not a communication until God tunes the set of man's heart. And this slow incremental uh, revelation, which grows the more that we are obedient, is the Lord slowly tuning our hearts to gain a clearer reception to his voice and what he is saying to us and his word and what he is revealing to us. The key to a clearer transmission, the key to hearing more clearly what God is saying to us is obedience. And the more we walk in obedience, the more clearly we will hear the word of God speaking into our lives. Now, oftentimes the Lord chooses a person and reveals a calling in their lives, but it isn't until some time after does that calling come to fruition. These men were called uh, and set aside uh, a little bit of time before. And then it was only after the passage of time that these 12 men's purpose and calling came to fruition. But sometimes it can be a long time between calling and the ministry coming to fruition. If you think about Joseph, it was revealed to him that he would be ruler over his brethren. But it took 14 years between that revelation and its fulfilment. David was revealed to be the king of Messiah, uh, king of uh, Israel and was anointed. But it took 15 years from anointing to his ascension to the throne. And of course, Jesus was revealed to be the Messiah before his birth. But it took 30 years for that to really become to the fullness of his ministry. I mean, for me personally, I was aged 20 when the Lord first revealed to me a calling to be a pastor. But it took over 20 years for that to come to fruition in my life. The reason I say this, if the Lord speaks a word into your life, I want you to hold on to that word and don't let it go. Continue in faithfulness, continue in obedience. 
because it will come to fruition and it will come to pass. But sometimes there is a big passage of time between when the Lord speaks and when it comes to fruition. So once all Israel had crossed uh, the Jordan, the 12 men leave the east bank and cross. They collect 12 stones from the riverbed where the uh, priests are standing and they take them to the place where they lodge for the night. And we know that later they'll be used to erect a memorial in Gilgal. We'll see that in verse 20 of the chapter. Now, why do people take photographs of themselves crossing a zebra crossing in Abbey Road, I wonder? Why do people take photographs of themselves crossing a zebra crossing in Abbey Road? Of course, it's the place where the Beatles took their photograph for the album Abbey Road. It's a place of significance, a place where people stood that was significant. The place where the priest stood, where the Ark of the Covenant stood, was significant. And thus it's from that part of the riverbed the presence of God touched. And so it's from that part of the riverbed the twelve large stones were lifted and carried on their shoulders to the other side. And of course there are significant times in our lives where the presence of God touches us. Notably, when we come to faith and receive salvation, that's a time when God has touched our lives. When we turn a significant corner in our earthly pilgrimage, that's when God has touched our lives. And perhaps when a new door of understanding opens to us, that touches our life. And mentally, a stone is picked up from these points in our walk and we carry them with us because they form a memorial in our lives. And it's good for us to recall those times and those instances in our lives when God has touched us, spoken us, caused us to turn a a corner in our walk, because they are significant. And they will stir and encourage us in our faith. Now, God has endowed children with a natural sense of curiosity and wonder. We all know that children are sponges, constantly soaking in the world around them, feeding on the information you or indeed anyone else pours into them. And I think it's for that reason we must be careful of the influences we place our children under. You know, the world can become a familiar place to old adult eyes, but to young eyes, everything is new and yet unexplored. And children's curiosity can open up a whole new world uh, to your way, to the way that you look at the world. In other words, children ask questions and they ask a lot of them. Any parent knows that. Um, They ask, what's for dessert? Can I have a sweetie? Are we there yet? But perhaps the most um, popular question is why? We get why all the time in our house. But here, the writer of Joshua encourages the reader to harness that curiosity that children naturally have, that predisposition predisposition to ask the question why and use it uh, to feed them with biblical truth then you shall answer them sorry what this that this may be a sign um, when your children ask in time to come saying what do these stones mean to you then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. The writer of Joshua encourages the reader to harness the curiosity children naturally have to feed them with biblical truth. And you can kind of imagine day trips to the Jordan where the children paddle and fish, 
or perhaps journeys past Gilgal towards Josh, uh, Jerusalem for the three pilgrimage feasts. And the children alight upon these 12 stones and they ask and they inquire about them. And thus an opportunity would open to talk about God's deliverance from Egypt and God's opening up of the Jordan, leading into Canaan, the promised land. An opportunity to talk about God's power and God's glory at work. Albert Einstein said, the important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. And likewise, we as parents and grandparents should harness the God-given curiosity in our children and our grandchildren and use it to feed them with biblical truth. Use the opportunities that arise to encourage questions and feed in uh, biblical truth and to show them the glory of God. Albert Einstein also said it is a miracle that curiosity survives formal education. We shouldn't leave it to the school to educate our children. We are called to educate our children and to feed that biblical truth into them. I just want to read verse 9. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So we are told explicitly that Joshua was, well, we're not told explicitly that Joshua was directed by God to build this second memorial of stones, but we can, I think, safely assume he was. Every step made by Joshua at this point is directed by the Lord. But um, here we see that there are going to be two memorials. There's going to be one that's built in Gilgal on the land and a second memorial that's built actually in the riverbed of the Jordan. And the writer says, and they are there to this day. Now, how they know this, I got no idea. Do they have scuba gear and they go uh, into the Jordan to check it out? Or is it the sort of thing where perhaps in the dry season, the river goes to a sufficiently low level that this stone monument becomes exposed? I'm not sure. Uh, but I guess... Um, you know, there, there, there are two memorials. There's one visible and one invisible. There is one that is hidden and there is one in plain sight. And as the children ask about the memorial in plain sight, so parents would say, well, there is another memorial hidden in the depths of the Jordan. And when I think about these two memorials, I think one symbolises the new life God has brought us into, into uh one life symbolises the new life God had brought Israel into, into Canaan. But the other hidden um, memorial symbolised their old life that was buried in the waters of Jordan. All of the memory of their slavery in Egypt, all the memory of those years in the wilderness was buried and submerged in the Jordan. That was a memorial to the old life. It was dead and buried. Then the memorial that was seen upon the uh, Gilgal was a memorial to the new life that uh, God had opened up for them in the promised land. And likewise, we too are to take our old life and let it be buried and enter in to that new life in Jesus. Romans 6 verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. It's through passing through water ourselves that our old life is buried and put away. 
and that we enter into a newness of life in Jesus Christ. We have an old life that should be buried in the waters of baptism and a new life that we are raised to in Christ. These two stones were not only memorials, they were witnesses to Israel as well. That These two stone memorials were witnesses. A visible witness that ministered to the children of Israel and an invisible witness to the uh, children of Israel. And uh, we too have two witnesses in our lives, one which is visible and one which is invisible. The visible witness that we have in our life is the word of God. This is that which is visible to us and ministers to us. But of course, we have the invisible witness of the Holy Spirit that resides in every believer that speaks to us as well. And we must rely upon both these witnesses for an effective Christian life. Moving on and reading verses 10 to 14. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hastened and crossed over. And then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. So as everyone passed through the Jordan, they passed the Ark of the Covenant, almost like an army on parade day passes by their commanding officer. And you know how they turn and they salute and then they carry on marching. So everybody marches uh, through the Jordan, past the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, safely to the other side. And as they passed by this Ark, it served to identify the people with the Lord and an acknowledgement of who was their authority, who was in charge. Although Joshua was in a sense their spiritual head, the Lord was their commander and chief. And of course included specifically in this roll call are the three tribes that had settled on the east side of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad and Manasseh. And they'd probably left their cattle and their families there and it was just the fighting men that came across. But they're given special special mention in this passage because it's seen as them honouring the promise they made to Joshua in Joshua 1 verses 16 to 18. They were people of their word. They kept their promise and they came to fight with um, their brothers and sisters uh, in Israel. And we too should be people of our word. People should be able to trust us as men of God and women of God. As uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 7. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. We need to be people of our word as well. And it's through this act of passing through the Jordan that Joshua is elevated in everyone's sight. And uh, not only is he seen as someone great, he is seen as God's chosen servant. And in a spiritual environment, it is important that those in authority have the calling and appointment of God. But that calling and appointment is seen and known by men. If that recognition is not there, the people will not follow that leader into battle. 
and the people will not remain faithful in times of hardship and trial. It won't be long before Joshua issues the most unorthodox and irrational battle strategy ever when it comes to Jericho. And people might think, well, that's a bit screwy. Um, But stepping into a flowing river uh, isn't exactly the most sane thing to do either. But people will follow him because he has been magnified in their sight, because his calling and appointment has been confirmed by God in their eyes. And God magnifies men, not so that they can enjoy an ego trip, but so that people of God can be correctly guided. That's why God raised up judges. That's why God raised up prophets. And that's why God raises up church leaders, so they can be correctly guided. Reading on uh, verse 15. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed over all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, And they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So in a reversal of the actions on the east side of the Jordan, the moment the priests stepped onto the west bank of the Jordan, the waters returned to the riverbed. The dammed water Uh, Some 30 miles upstream at Adam was released supernaturally as surely as it was held and it flowed back down the riverbed. Now when it came to the crossing of the Red Sea the waters were a wall either side and we know that those walls more or less collapsed by my reading and engulfed the pursuing armies of Pharaoh. There was a sudden gush as the waters returned to the Red Sea but with the Jordan River by my reading it was slightly different. The waters were dammed way up the stream. And so what would have happened is there was a slow uh, trickle which turned into a stream, which turned into a full flow. It wasn't a sudden rush of water, as was the case with the Red Sea. Because, of course, it was flood season. The water would spill over the banks. And if the water was only released as the priests got onto the bank, they wouldn't necessarily have had enough time to be able to get to safety if the water came gushing down. So it was a slow building up. Of flow, And uh, of course, a sudden rush of water coming down the Jordan River would probably knock over that uh, second memorial that was built in the River Jordan. Now, water is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And in a sense, just as there were two refillings of uh, the rivers, there are two flows of the Holy Spirit into a believer's life. The first tends to be more of a sudden gush when a person is baptised by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. 
But I would say that the second one is more of a steady flow into a believer as they grow in grace. That's spoken of in Ephesians 5.18, how we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we grow in grace and as our lives become more yielded to God, and as we move further into the fullness of God and all that he has for us, so there is a, a, gr- a rising flow of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Or perhaps my, maybe more accurately, as we become more surrendered, so the Spirit can operate more fully in our lives. Now Gilgal is about two miles away from Jericho. Uh, nobody knows exactly where it was. Its uh, location seems to have been lost a little to history. But it stands as the first territory within Canaan that Israel claimed in their conquest. And it is important because it becomes Joshua's HQ. It becomes his base of operations. It's from Gilgal that Joshua directs the battle campaign for the rest of the land. It's from Gilgal Joshua met with the Gibeonite deceivers. And it's from Gilgal that Joshua uh, issues the allotments of the land as well. Gilgal later on will be the place where Israel will crown their first king, Saul, in 1 Samuel 11. And it's in Gilgal that David was restored after Absalom's coup d'etat in 2 Samuel 19. And later on still, we're going to see in 2 Kings, chapter 2 and chapter 4, that there was a school of prophets in the days of Elijah and Elisha that was based at Gilgal as well. So this place, Gilgal, is very significant in Israel's history. And it is, at, it is at Gilgal that the memorial stones that were taken from the bed of the Jordan are erected. Interestingly enough, uh, this happens to be mentioned um, in the New Testament as well, because this same place where uh, uh, Israel crossed the Jordan is exactly the same place where John the Baptist started his ministry and was baptising people. If you were to go onto Google Maps or, or Google Earth and look at where Jericho is, then go um, east towards where the Jordan is, you'll see that that is where the traditional site for the baptism of Jesus is and where John's baptisms took place. And it's with that in mind, I think there's a very interesting verse in um, Matthew chapter 3. There's a parallel verse in Luke 3, but we'll go to the Matthew version. And in Matthew 3, we have the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees coming to see what John the Baptist is really up to. Everybody was coming for baptism. These were just coming to watch. And in Matthew 3, verse 5, we read, Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, that is John the Baptist, and were baptised by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What stones is he referring to? He's pointing to the memorial that's built by Joshua at Gilgal. And he's saying God is able to build up worshippers from these stones here. Because it was from those stones that represented the faith of Israel. It is from faith that God gets his followers. 
So we've completed chapter four. We've seen the two memorial stones, uh, the cairns effectively um, built. But I'm reminded in closing that we all have our Gilgals. We all have our memorials where God has moved in our lives. As, as Joshua bid the Israelite uh, bring back to mind what God has done, so we should bring back to mind those things that God has done in our lives, those turning points where God has made a difference in us. And I think to myself, what are the Gilgals in your lives? I'm sure you could uh, sit down and you could make a list of those Gilgals. But I was just thinking about this and I was thinking about Johnny and Hannah and that first time that we met on that Sunday evening in our living room and we talked and suddenly we realised we had all this common ground and shared perspective. And I don't know about you, but I felt that fire in my belly at finding a like-minded Christian and knowing that the Lord had brought us together. And right there in that evening, we sh I shook hands with Johnny and said, right, let's start Calvary Chapel Maystone tonight. That was a Gilgal. That was a memorial stone that's worth remembering. I'm thinking of that time a few days later when I met with, uh, Abby and I met with Ian and Francis. On a, was it a Tuesday evening? And we were looking for signs that God wanted us to join together, that maybe God was bringing us together. And we found the common ground, of course, that uh, we were both engaged in homeschooling. And uh, we found a common ground that we both, in different ways, been exposed to Calvary Chapel in our own lives. And of course, we found the common ground that we had uh, both enjoyed the ministry of Roger Price. And we had the same kind of theological frame of reference from that teaching. And of course, the... Uh, cherry on the cake, Francis, that common ground that we both grew up in exactly the same house in Paddock Wood. Who would have believed it? And I'm, I'm thinking about you, Amos and uh, Olga, that phone call that you made to me on a Monday asking about the building in Paddock Wood and what it was well, there for and what was happening. And I remember you talking a little bit about your radio station and how you um, supported the ministry there on the radio station of Jack Hibbs, Malcolm Wilde and Jacob Prash people that I'd been to see to speak, people whose podcasts I listened to, realising there was a, a man of a common um, frame of reference there. And then, of course, meeting up on that Thursday where you introduced me to Anand and uh, I knew that that not only was the building for Anand, but also we went to have lunch afterwards and God first brought us together. That's a Gilgal. God to bring, bringing people together and a turning point in their lives. And Kate, do you remember the time when I first came over your house to do that plumbing job and that kind of merry dance we did as we kind of suspected we were both Christians, but didn't want to sort of what calibre of Christian are you sort of thing as we try to work it out. And then you were praying for God to show you which church you should be going to. And within half an hour, you got a text message from Abby saying, do you want to come to church this morning? God giving you a direct answer to prayer. That's a Gilgal, a turning point when God has spoken to your life and there's a memorial there. And I don't know about you, James, Beth, Kate, but I do remember us talking after that, after hearing that sermon about being sifted like wheat and uh, being given a vocabulary for the experience that you'd gone through. And through that sermon, realising that uh, all that you had and are enduring was for a reason that God had done that work in your life. And you'll find that that process of being sifting is a Gilgal. It's a turning point in your life 
where God is doing deep work in your life and has borne many fruit. And sometimes it takes a while for that fruit to become apparent. But we all have a Gilgal. And that closing verse of of, uh, of, uh, Joshua 4 shows us why God gives us Gilgal. That you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. That is why God does these things in our lives, that we might fear his name forever. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are at work in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you put markers in our lives where we can see your hand working in our lives. And that, Lord, it gives us reason to give you glory. It gives us reason to fear you. Help us to press forward into all that you have for us. Help us to be people that operate and walk by faith. And we leave the past behind, pressing on towards the upward call in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.